everyone and welcome to In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns podcast. In this brand new episode, we speak to Christine Castle, CEO of Multicultural Australia, who talks about celebrating harmony, the ongoing support in COVID-19 pandemic, the challenges ahead, and how the diversity and gender biases are still a challenge as she looks through her leadership which is beyond these stigmas let's take a listen to this riveting episode right now this podcast has been recorded in the Mianin nation we pay our respects to jagra and turbal people we respect their continuing culture contribution and connections to the land water and communities we acknowledge the first nations people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past present and emerging Welcome to the In the Spirit of Spinning Yarn podcast today, Christine. We are so delighted to have you with us. Such a delightful day, such a day because we have the Harmony Week going on. So please share with us your story all about Christine, the CEO of Multicultural Australia. Tell us about your journey. Sure. Thanks, Akakuka. Um, so can I just begin as well? I know um, I usually live in Brisbane, um, but, but just probably want to acknowledge that I'm actually recording this from Canberra down here for a regional summit. So I do want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which I'm actually located, the Munawal people, recognising, I think, as we talk today about my journey to Australia, that at the core and the heart of Australia, of course, is the world's oldest living culture. So I did want to to, to start off for a bit. So yes, as you say, I'm currently the CEO of Multicultural Australia. I'm also a first generation migrant. I came to Australia in 1984 with my family as a migrant. Was born in Malaysia, so that was the country I was in and I had a father who was in the army, so travelled a lot in my life and I actually have a bit of a quite a global family. My sister was born in India, um, my father was there on military training and um, my brother was born um, on the island of Borneo. So, And then we came to Australia um, and then I've kind of made a, a, a lovely life for myself, I think. Growing up as a, a teenager from when I was about 15, married um, a boy from Brisbane whose family kind of dates back to the 1800s. So we'd come from two very cultures. We've now been married 28 years and then had a fabulous career through the Queensland government working in social policy and have now made the transition to the NGO sector. Multicultural Australia welcomes over 3,000 plus migrants, refugees, people seeking asylum and also international students. Christine Carsley was appointed as a Multicultural Australia CEO in October 2020 in the middle of extended pandemic COVID-19. Let's hear from Christine on her self-revelations, discoveries, like a lot of other people, like many people, I think there was a bit of a shock from the pandemic in terms of realizing how quickly our world can change and how how quickly and how globally it can change. And I think, and that was happening at a time where we all felt the world was getting smaller because we were able to travel more quickly and be in contact more often. So having those sudden lockdowns come upon us and having those quite major and significant economic and social impacts, which has infected, affected everyone in the community, of course, has had an impact on me individually. Um, for my, me, it was actually, it, that bit of a lockdown gave me 
time to take stock and actually probably engage in more moments of quiet reflection. Um, and I think that was kind of quite wonderful and it was probably a positive outcome in a lot of ways. But also I think what really kind of hit home was how much we need each other, um, how much as human beings we kind of need that glue that binds us together but also how important it is to, for all of us to kind of have that place of safety that we can retreat to. So certainly for me, you know, I have a, a comfortable home and a, um, you know, a wonderful family um, who we could kind of, you know, coexist in a, a shutdown period really well and kind of have um, a, a positive experience, but at the same time, you know, being really, really conscious that out there, there were a whole group of people, many, many hundreds of people who were not so comfortable and not so fortunate, but, while also then being in that place of sanctuary and safety at home, also being conscious that we didn't know how long this was going to go for and also then having that kind of overhang of insecurity that's come from from COVID. Yeah, so it, it's kind of, I suppose, been a, quite a paradoxical kind of time in terms of it has had its positives, but it's also been that negative of this kind of invisible virus um, that could be quite, that has had significant tragic impacts on the world and in communities. But at the same time, I think also then has really highlighted those really important issues of human connection and that importance of everybody needing to have that place of safety and stability that can kind of give them the supports. And the thing that I've really been conscious of is how easy it can be to fall through to through some of those cracks. And, and as a migrant, you do, you are really conscious of that because you have, you go through that experience, I think, of kind of losing a lot of your safety nets. And so you do become very conscious in times like this um, of the impact that that can have on you. So Christine, when you, as the CEO of Multicultural Australia, how did this challenge your team and how did you solve some of the issues and think, you know, have a roadmap for this maybe in an extended time? Yeah, so um, so in this extended COVID time, and I like the way you've described that, um, I'm going to draw a bit of a bold parallel here that I actually think, you know, so we've moved into a bit of a new landscape and the parallel, like, and as I reflect on this, I'm thinking is we're kind of all new arrivals in this, this new landscape. So there are strong parallels with what it's like often as, as a new arrival in this country, as a migrant, as a refugee. So you've kind of still got one foot in the, the old landscape, the pre-COVID world that people kind of have a hankering to return to. So people are waiting for COVID to be over so things will go back to the way they were. But the reality is we are in this new landscape that's kind of unknown, very uncertain. We kind of don't quite know what what's going to happen and how we should engage with it. So there is that uncertainty, I think, that um, many people are trying to deal with it. And as with, um, I think, often the case with the migrant or the refugee experience, the thing that's going to get you through that, I think, is how you kind of seize the opportunities that are put in front of you and whether you're able to build that resilience that allows you to kind of take those steps going forward to kind of deal with the, the, the slings and arrows, the uncertainty, the unexpected things that kind of come your way and how you work through navigating through that and you know perhaps who might be there to kind of support you navigate your way through it so certainly as as the ceo of multicultural australia you know i've, I've got an organization with with a workforce who i feel a, a strong kind of obligation to, to 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 care for to look up look after and kind of ensure that we continue to deliver for our clients and um, and as with many kind of front-facing service delivery agencies obviously you know at the front of our mind was how we had to change our kind of approach and how we the ways we work to ensure we were able to reach out to our clients we actually did move a lot more to outreach kind of actually traveling out to see our clients in their homes those who are in greatest need um, 
while keeping our office open at all times, but trying to minimise the contact, obviously, to try to be as COVID safe as possible. Um, and that's changed a lot of, um, in a, I think, given us a really strong basis to actually improve a lot of our actual direct client engagement, because we've had to think about the way we do things and, and make sure that we're continuing to kind of deliver, you know, the services and the support that our clients need. The other dimension, of course, on top of the client service delivery bit is caring for for the workforce and, you know, thinking through how we create that safe workplace, thinking through these new ways of working. So obviously, um, everybody moved very, very quickly um, to, to working from home in the first instance. But being in Queensland, I suppose we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to come back more to kind of um, working in the office where we've needed to. We're currently working on a 50-50 basis. And I suppose as CEO, I'm grappling at the moment with these issues about we've learned that our workforce can be, you know, more flexible in terms of working arrangements. We don't necessarily all need to be all in the office at the same time. But by the same token, the, the remote working does raise challenges about how do you build collective culture, connection, and thinking about uh, whether in fact it can be a very lonely experience for say those in the workforce who who live on their own, who rely on their workplace for their social connection, for those who are new to the workplace, um, people who come into the organisation new where it takes a longer time to get to know your work colleagues or to feel that you're a part of the team and learn the ways of doing that intuitive thing that you get when you're working in, a, in an office and you actually have those face-to-face -face kind of conversations, engagement, and you're able to observe what goes on so that you can actually immerse yourself in the culture of your organisation. So all those connection pieces, I think, are challenges for, for leaders at the moment um, in currently, where as we think about a, a workforce that's more dispersed and more kind of remotely located more of the time. Um, and it's something I think we're still working through, but I think something that's really important for us at Multicultural Australia, given we say we're all about building connection and inclusion for our clients, for the community, but it's also about connection and inclusion for our workforce because they are people that we have a responsibility to look after. That's brilliant, Christine. Really solid leadership. It is true that uh, crisis brings together community connections and really teaches us how to be compassionate with a care culture. So as we move forward, tell me a little bit about, as a woman of diversity, how your leadership has been many a times challenged. I mean, hmm. it was International Women's Day on the 8th of March, and every now and then till date, we talk about diversity, inclusion in corporates, in the clubs, in our community, everywhere. Look, I think we've made progress, but the, the diversity gap is certainly not closed. Um, so, and there is, um, as you say, gender bias. Um, there is also cultural bias. Um, I suppose, and, and for me, on my leadership journey, and as you say, as a woman of heritage, I think the biggest challenge for me personally, certainly, has been about learning to be comfortable with being different, to being, um, particularly as I've reached more senior levels, kind of being comfortable with being the unique person in the room. So what I would find, particularly because I worked in kind of in a community services, social policy space, you find a much of the workforce in those spaces are female. Um, so you grow up in a culture, you build your experience in a, in a mostly female kind of workforce. But interestingly, as you progress to kind of more senior ranks, you find yourself as um, 
not only the only female in the room, so in a room of a men, men full of suits, um, full of men with suits, and um, also the only person of colour in the room. And there's a dimension there about kind of the things you do to kind of gain acceptance. You make sure you have all the trappings of kind of kind of corporate power. You wear the right clothes. You know how to behave in the right ways. You understand the culture. You know how to conduct a meeting. You know how to you learn how to chair a meeting with confidence. And and you think about your your presence. These are all things I think that you know everybody needs to kind of work on developing as a particular skill. But there are some real dimensions um, when you are a woman of color. Um, that requires um, significant kind of work as you as you do so, and you need to be learn to be resilient um, because often putting yourself out there as as a leader um, and 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 having that unique kind of dimension, I think, um, does mean also that you're you're much more in the spotlight. So, and there are times when you will fail. Um, the question is, you know, not seeing those taking those too much to heart, those moments of failure, because everybody fails. And always being open to, to, to learning and to develop a, a resilience and, and a little bit of a tough skin, I think, to understand that, um, you know, you have to earn your seat at the table. You, you, you're, the reason you are there is because others have seen that you are, you have a right to that seat at that table and you need to own that seat and, and take your place um, in as comfortable a way as you possibly can. Christine, this morning is so wonderful talking all things multicultural Australia with you. So tell me, um, do you think we have enough women leadership in our multicultural communities? And um, why is there a lack of women leaders representing these communities? Yeah, um, so I think um, we've we've made progress, but obviously we haven't kind of completely made the gap. So we haven't made enough progress. Um, and stepping up to be a leader is often, you know, quite a difficult thing to do in that you're kind of standing, putting your head up um, and, and putting yourself in a place of vulnerability, which is difficult enough itself when in itself when you're one of the crowd, but even more so when you um, are aware of, of your difference within a particular community. You're making yourself vulnerable. And, you know, there is a, 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 some strong lessons, there are some strong lessons that need to be learned in terms of resilience when you make yourself that vulnerable, um, you know, and we can probably perhaps talk a bit later about the tall poppy syndrome that, you know, does exist in Australia, but that is very much a case where it puts people in a, 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 a vulnerable position. So that, I think, makes it a bit more difficult for women to have the confidence in themselves. And often they also don't have the networks, which are often a really important part about make, um, having, delivering successful leadership. I think too, we've, that what I've certainly kind of experienced, I think, is that in our, our communities, that the communities that we work in, um, you know, there's certainly many strong women and, and kind of who provide very good representation, but they exercise leadership in, I think, quite different ways. They're not always the loudest voice in the room, but they can be the most effective operator in the room. Um, but this is not always recognised um, and I think there is um, certainly a case to be made for looking at different ways of operating and different ways of doing things, whether it be through meetings or how we deliver projects or how we structure our organisations to actually um, cater for those people who, as I said, are, are not you know, going to be able to articulate and their views with the loudest voice in the room, but also, but who could make a significant contribution and be leaders in quieter and more indirect ways. Um, so certainly in my organisation, some of the things I often like to talk about are things um, like um, leadership at all levels and leadership in, at, at, in different ways and different 
means so that that you don't have a single view of how leadership can be accessed? Leadership is exemplary in your office, uh, Christine, and it would be so interesting to know what a day in your diary is like. How do you get inspired in the most uh, challenging times, especially in this extended pandemic? And keep your team inspired. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really, really lucky, I think, because I work in an organisation that's very much driven by mission purpose. And certainly when I walk into work um, on the days that, uh, that we're in the office, um, there is often an energy that, you know, is just kind of wonderful in terms of driving you. And I think that comes from the, a really collegiate culture that we have at Multicultural Australia. Uh, we have very strong diversity amongst our workforce and, and you can see the resilience come through. We've got many people who are former clients who, who have had that refugee experience, certainly, and, and if not, at least kind of a migrant experience. And they bring a whole energy of their own um, and a whole willingness to kind of deal with all sorts of challenges in in, in constructive and positive ways. Um, so certainly I find that I draw a lot of my energy during the day. Um, in terms of what my diary looks like, um, look, it has often a whole momentum of its own during the day. There's a whole series of kind of meetings where I can cover a whole range of kind of diverse issues from, you know, the, the, the more mundane governance organization stuff around how we're kind of looking after our budgets and things like that through to dealing with the really complex issues about how we can best deliver services to our clients what's the best case management model what do we need to do to deliver resources whether it's in Brisbane or one of our other offices in Toowoomba or Rockhampton um, and always underpinning this is um, you know this this overarching aim that we've got about the social movement dimension to our work. So while we have that frontline service delivery of caring for our clients, um, refugees and, and new other new arrivals, international students, um, you know, there's always this lens of, you know, so how does what we do feed into that bigger picture of driving social change and how can we do deliberate things to actually bring about change with the work that we do. So, so as you can see, there's many layers and, and, and just those layers are um, in the work that we do, I think I find very energizing personally um, and being able to bounce ideas off people, work with them, kind of come up with solutions and working through this um, balance between we are able to kind of bring about change or impact on people's lives, make it better on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, by giving them, you know, stable housing, by helping them with, you know, any of their tenancy issues or getting settled into a school. So that's very satisfying to be able to do things in material ways, but at the same time, still being able to have the opportunities to have an eye on kind of how do we bring about longer term legacy type change. Brilliantly said, Christine. And continuing uh, about your leadership, you know, you're an Australian, and of course, many a times when we Australians of diversity of different colors, shapes, sizes, the way we look, the way we talk, abilities and capabilities are here. We're often perceived to be non-Australians. So talking about your leadership, you've come a long way and, you know, you shared uh, how you started in the social policy area, etc. Mm -hmm. Did you experience any such challenges and how did you disrupt those doors, uh, you know, those 
those gaps and come all the way up? Yeah, so in, in many ways, I was lucky, I guess, in that I do have the beauty of that diversity in, in my kind of growing up in that I grew up until I was about 15 in Malaysia and then came as a migrant, as I said. And then I came into school um, in the final years of my schooling were in, in Australia and then I moved on to university and through the workforce. What that means is that I have a whole series of memories and lived experience that straddle two cultures, two countries, but gives me the ability to connect with people. And I found trying to tackle those challenges are often about trying to find the ways of connecting and people connect through shared memories, shared history, shared experiences. So, so I've been able to tap into that. But, but you're absolutely right in that, you know, um, you know, I look different. I am a woman of colour. Um, I've learnt, as I said earlier, to be very, very comfortable with it. Um, but, you know, that was a big part of my, my, my growing up journey. And it took lots of kind of moments of courage when I had to kind of brace myself to either enter a room or, or be in a room. Um, in what, you know, I have to say, quite frankly, would have been often, particularly as I hit the more senior levels, a room full of men, white men dressed in suits. Um, and, you know, you do deal with issues where you can see, for example, the relief on people's faces when you start to speak and they realise you don't have a difficult accent for them to try to understand, for example. Um, so um, because I've acquired an Australian accent over those many years. So, so there are those challenges um, and it does give me a pause to reflect on kind of what how difficult it must be for those people who do still have an accent and have to deal with those challenges. Um, but I think to what having dealt with those challenges has made me better as a leader and as a person, having a consciousness that actually gives me, I think, reminds me about the need to have empathy for the different perspectives, the different angles, the different challenges that the people in the room might be dealing with uh, for, for a whole range of reasons, whether it's because of their gender, because, you know, you may have a meeting in the city, but you might have some people there who are used to dealing with things in the country. And those are two quite different cultures in Australia um, in terms of how people do things. Um, so this whole diversity within Australia, I think that someone um, with my experience, such as myself, people like myself who come from a culturally different background and have navigated that, risen above those challenges, actually um, have um, learned and have much to share with others in terms of knowledge and expertise about how to bring all of that diversity to the table in the most effective way possible. Um, you know, I should say I love, I love Australia as a country. It's very much part of my core being because so much of my growing up has happened here. It's a wonderful country and I love going out to the outback and I was lucky enough in a lot of my career to actually get out into country Queensland, into the outback. Um, you know, it's an amazing ancient wonderful country and if you acknowledge the first nations culture which we must do you know it's also got this rich textured history um but at the same time you know physically australia is also known to be a very can be a bit of a hazardous place and that's i think a little bit where, where things can sometimes go wrong um and where you need to be ready and resilient to navigate those challenges when things don't go quite right so um so yeah it's 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 i have to say being an amazing experience growing up in Australia as as an adult. My maturing as an adult happened in Australia, but you know, at its heart, you often have a bit of your heart back in your steeped in your childhood memories, which are back in the country in which you were born, in which you had your early childhood years. And the thing that I'm particularly grateful for is I do actually have that richness to tap into, coming from both um, two two cultures, which I think just strongly kind of influence who I am, how I do things and, and the values that I hold. 
Absolutely. And this is modern Australia, you know, our heritage, our current identity, the Australian identity is Mm -hmm. all a multicultural Australia. So with those experiences, Christine, like we were talking about the tall poppy syndrome and, you know, with International Women's Day just gone on 8th of March, there were lots of conversations, dialogues, webinars in this virtual world, you know, all about the gender bias, the unconscious bias, etc., Nobody spoke about the tall poppy syndrome. And I do do think that this absolutely persists. So as a CEO of Multicultural Australia, how would you empower people, not just women, to deal with this? And what do you think are the gaps that must be bridged? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think you're right that, um, you know, there was a period of time when we talked about the tall poppy syndrome quite a lot, probably more in the 80s, not recently, but it does, it's still it's still there. And it goes back to that point I made a little earlier about when you step up as a leader, you, you, you step up above um, others around you and you do make yourself vulnerable. And we do, we can find ourselves in a culture often where um, you do, kind of suffer the slings and arrows of being in that position um i think the really important way to try to disrupt disrupt this and this is really about very consciously trying to build your culture within your organization within your workplace within the community in which you operate which is one about support and success rather than run one around competition and distrust and so that really is very much a culture issue which comes down to for myself, certainly as a leader and, and what I expect of kind of fellow leaders around, it's about being very clear around expectations around behaviour. Language, I find, is often very important as well in terms of how we characterise people, how we describe people, how we celebrate their successes. The words that you put around it are often really, really shape thinking. Um, and how you kind of create, um, if you create a sense of shared responsibility, I think, within your group for creating a positive workplace, one where you can, you know, everyone feels brave enough to kind of call out bad behaviour, but also feels confident in themselves enough to also applaud good behaviour. Um, I think that's where you kind of, all of that's kind of possibly, you know, easier said than done. But if you have that constantly in your mind and you actually um, channel that language, that expectation, that behaviour yourself in terms of how you deal with people, um, people will generally, I found, in terms of positive cultures, come along for the ride because they want to be part of that group. They want to be part of that culture because it also supports them. And in doing so, you recognise that, you know, we will each kind of stand up, be successful and stand a little higher than taller than others around us at various times, but making sure that each person has an opportunity if they wish to, to similarly stand stand up and, and kind of create that, that broad, um, as I said, culture of, of support and success, which is which should be the ultimate goal, I think, in terms of how we all operate collectively. Thank you so much, Christine. So who is your inspiration? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, there are... I think there are so many people who've kind of influenced me, me in in, in different ways. Um, look, my parents obviously were a very strong influence in my life and an inspiration. And, and because they you know they made that difficult decision to migrate, and they did it for the sake of the success of their children. Um, they did the hard yards, and in a sense, kind of you know, kind of put it to us that they created opportunity. And and so you know, they are ones who always kind of. You know, my parents are ones who always inspire, memory of my parents always inspire me to kind of 
be a better person and, and kind of do more and play my part in the world. Um, and I, and that's, I know something that, that my siblings, I have a brother and sister also share. So, so I'm lucky enough to have had that, that strong family to stand behind me. And I should say too, the family I grew up in, my extended family, um, even going back to, to Malaysia in many years, um, the women in my family were teachers. They always worked um, and had, you know, were always kind of um, had earned. So there was no question that 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 a woman should um, do anything other than what she wanted to do with her life, that you had choices open to you. And that was something that I grew up with. So in that broader sense, I think my family are my inspiration. But um, I draw my inspiration from so many people around me each day. And, and, and as I said, you know, the workplace that I walk into every day when I see um, people on my teams who, you know, come from a refugee background, they could be Rwandan um, from the Congo, Syrian, Afghanistan, and I know they have just amazing stories of challenge and hardship and trauma that they would have come through. And to see them where they are today, where they've kind of built a new life for themselves and not only done that, but also stepped into roles where they're now doing things to help others those little moments are what ones that kind of create inspiration for me, I think. And, and that, I think, is what creates the strength of, um, I suppose, inspiration in, in, in my life. Inspirational indeed, Christine. So it's Harmony Week, and we have so much to be proud of, of this beautiful country, the No Worries country. We have the land, the water, and the connecting communities, the world's oldest heritage, our civilization, as we must say. So many people like you, me, our friends, families from various parts of the world who now call Australia home. What's your Harmony Day message for them? Um, I think there's probably two things. Like one is basically, I think now coming out of this extended COVID time, it's really the time for us to take the time out to think about what opportunities lie ahead of us and to make some really deliberate choices about how we're going to seize those, those opportunities. Um, but in the context of Harmony, Harmony Day in particular, what I'd probably like to say is, is that I'd really like to see an Australia, which we are all part of, which is kinder, which is com more confident enough in itself as a country so that it can be more open um, to, to sharing our talent, our expertise, our people, our resources. Um, and in, in doing so, I think my message to, to everyone out there in the community is take time to think about what opportunities lie ahead of you. Take time while you're doing that to reach out and connect. So if you're in a position of, of good fortune, then st still reach out to those who are in need. Um, see what you can do to help. Or if you equally are in a position of need, then reach out, um, ask for help, accept the hands of help that are offered to you. And if we can achieve that connected, inclusive, kinder Australia, then I think we'll all be in a much better place. Thank you so much, Christine, for your time and this beautiful message.